Welcome to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we share the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son. So another Christmas season is upon us, and this episode marks the first of an Advent series that was originally delivered back in 2017 at Ariel Chapel in Norman, Oklahoma. And we are very happy to share this here on our podcast. This series is titled, The Christ of Christmas. And today's message includes one of our favorite sermon illustrations Dad used throughout his ministry. I thought it was really neat how Dad specifically mentions how deeply this story affected my mother, Crystal, the first time she heard it. So I thought I would give Mom a call and get her thoughts on all that. When I started asking Mom about this story, I didn't get but a few words out when Mom jumped in and started telling me the whole thing. She mentioned how this story finally made everything click for her. Now, I know we all have different experiences growing up. But for some, specifically those that grow up in the church, believe for the most part. And they believe simply because that's what they've been taught to believe ever since they were old enough to be a donkey or a lamb or an angel or maybe a shepherd or Mary in the kid's Christmas play. However, for mom, this story finally illustrated to her why Christ became flesh and died for her sins. She mentioned that this sermon illustration is what led to her clearly understanding and solidifying her salvation. What a great story and a great way to share with others why Christ had to become man. I hope you enjoy it and share it with as many people as you can. So let me go ahead and get on with this introduction. Now, if the Bible clearly teaches that when Jesus entered the life of this world, he was born in a land and to a people who enjoyed a unique relationship with God, we would imagine, of course, that these people would welcome him with open arms. Unfortunately, none of these things would prove to be true. Rather than being received with open arms, he was rejected and hated, not adored. When God saw this, he was heartbroken. Here was a nation of people who had been longing for a deliverer to appear. And when that occurred, they rejected him. However, the Jews were not alone in this rejection of the highest and best. Tragically, this is the sad story of the entire human race. There are so few of us who are willing to accept all that God has for us. And millions, even billions of people reject his greatest gift, the Christ of Christmas. Yet this much can be said. Some of the Jewish people did accept God's gift, and that gift empowered them to become everything God created them to be. As John will write, To all those who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. John 1, 10-12 will set the stage for Pastor Harris's message as he speaks to the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's go ahead and get into this Advent series titled The Christ of Christmas with this first message titled The Word Became Flesh. I really enjoy reading the book of John. I don't think that comes as a surprise to any of you. The truth is, I enjoy the book of John more than any other book in the New Testament. It is truly a literary and theological masterpiece. Did you hear what I said? It's a masterpiece. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in biblical studies to see that John's gospel is different from the other three gospels. And, of course, by that, I mean the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, and the gospel of Luke. Even a cursory reading of John will enable you to see that the literary style is totally unique. It is different. 
It's far more abstract and theologically demanding than the other three Gospels. You have to work at John. And its content and its structure is also different. It includes many events and teachings that are not included in the other Gospels. For example, there's the miracle of the turning of the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. That isn't mentioned in any of the other Gospels. Then there is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. You'd think that the other Gospels would report this, but no, it's unique to John's Gospel. There's also a number of other teachings, like the discourses of Jesus. You remember the one on the bread of life? Unique to John. Remember the one on the light of the world? Unique to John. I could go on and on and on. The Gospel of John even opens up differently than does the other three Gospels. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all begin in the physical realm and describe definitive historical events. For example, you know Matthew's Gospel begins with a genealogy, followed by the story of how Joseph decided to take Mary to be his wife. Now, the Gospel of Luke begins with the history of John the Baptist, strangely enough. Tells about how the angel appeared to Zacharias, his father, and how he experienced this unique birth. The Gospel of Mark, on the other hand, begins with a mature Jesus, some 30 years of age or so, announcing his public ministry. As I said, all three of these Gospels begin their events in recorded time and recorded space. But that's not true of John. John opens in the invisible realm, the spirit world. It opens in the era prior to the creation of anything else. And the purpose of John in doing this, in beginning his gospel in the eternal era, was to establish one overreaching fact, and that fact was this. He wanted to prove that this man, this special man, Jesus of Nazareth, was the one, the only begotten Son of God, unique in all of his ways. In fact, that is the theme of the prologue of the Gospel of John. Now, even though Christmas is never mentioned in these 14 verses, every line of that prologue should remind us of Christmas. It's all hidden beneath the facts. You have to ferret it out, but it's there. It should remind us of Christmas because it reveals to us why the creator of the universe would choose to take on flesh and become an ordinary human being. I don't know about you, but that defies my imagination. And of course, that's always been the issue that the Christmas story raises. Why in the world would Almighty God choose to become a man? And the prologue of John helps to resolve that issue. John begins his gospel by making certain that his readers are aware that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is now, was, and always will be the one eternal God. Now listen to the words of John 1, 1 through 3. Look at the screen. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Now get this. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, beloved, there are some vital words found in these three verses. Here John introduces us to something or someone he refers to as being the word. And he makes clear that this word who was in the beginning with God and who was God actually made all things. He wants you to know that the the word was there and the word was the creator of everything that exists. Now, notice this creator did not make some things. He made all things. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made. That was made. That means that the word of God, the second person of the Godhead, wasn't is the creator of the universe. Most of us think it was the first person. No, it wasn't. It was the second person who created all things. But now here's the shocking part. It's found in John 1.10. Look at this. He was in the world. The word. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Do you see the magnitude of this? John is telling us that this one eternal God, the creator of all that is, did something astounding. He actually made the decision to enter into that which he had created. The word became flesh, John says, and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. In other words, he took upon himself human flesh. But once again, why? Why would the second person of the Godhead choose to take on flesh? Why would Almighty God dwell among the likes of you and me? Especially me. Well, I believe it had to do with one thing, and one thing alone. It had something to do with what the New Testament calls agape love. A-G-A-P-E, agape love. You see, as everyone in this chapel knows, at some point following the creation of Father Adam and Mother Eve, they both fell into sin, didn't they? Their sin was disobedience to the express will of God. And this created in them what we call a fallen nature, a bent towards sinning. I often say that they fell into the condition of sin. They experienced a state of being that was of sinful origin. And this condition brought something we call death upon them. There was no death until they sinned, and they brought upon themselves this curse of death. And these creatures, Adam and Eve, designed by God to live forever, would not only experience death, but as a result of the fall, they would experience disease, poverty, heartache, and a host of other maladies associated with sin. So without question, sin is destructive, is it not? In fact, sin is a, is a kind of disease and once it is released upon the human family in the Garden of Eden, it began to do its destructive work immediately. Now, the worst thing about sin, I'm talking about all sin here, is not only disease, poverty, relational breakdown. The worst thing is this. It separates us. Sin separates us from God. 
And in this state of separation, we find ourselves in a dangerous place. You know why? Because that condition of sin blinds us. We see this blindness in everything. We see it everywhere. In fact, for thousands and thousands of people, the presence of sin has blindly headed them toward the abyss of wrath and destruction. And the human family has continued to travel this way for millennia upon millennia upon millennia. And God has not been blind to this. From his place, overseeing his creation, he had to warn the human race of the dangers of the path they were taking. But there was one huge problem. How does a sinless God communicate with a sinful, fallen race of people? Well, the answer seems obvious, doesn't it? The only way to communicate is to become one of them. That's the only way. God would have to become a man to communicate to a blinded human family. Now, it's like an illustration I've used hundreds of times during my years in ministry. As a matter of fact, the first time I ever used this illustration, my wife heard it, and for the first time in her life, she really understood Christmas. She fully understood what it means to be saved. It's a story of an etymologist, someone who studies insects. And this particular scholar had been studying the same ant colony for many, many years. He was writing papers on it. And in so doing, he had become quite familiar with these ants. He had watched them gather their food, build their tunnels, and hatch their young. His work was truly, for him, a labor of love. Then one day, to his utter shock and amazement, a bulldozer appeared. He stopped the driver to discover that a highway was going to be built over the very place where this anthill was located. And if those ants were not moved, they would all be killed. The entomologist wanted to warn them of what was about to happen, but they were ants. They were not human beings. They couldn't understand his words, and therefore they couldn't heed his warnings. Now, not knowing what else to do, the entomologist reached down and began to scoop up hands full of these ants. And in so doing, he planned to move them to a safe place. However, ants are ants. They didn't understand this. They didn't know what he was doing. So what did they do? They did the only thing they knew how to do. They began to sting and bite him. Finally, the pain became so intense, so severe, that he was forced to drop them. But what else could he do? What was the solution? What could he have done? Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it? To be able to warn the ants, he needed to be able to speak their language. He had to be able to communicate with them. And the only way he could do this was by becoming an ant himself. See my point? That was true of God as well. 
before he could rescue the human family. He had to become one of us. That, beloved, is the Christmas message. That's what all of this is all about, is God becoming one of us, so he could communicate with us. Only then could he share with us the awful fate that awaits us if we do not change our ways. So that's exactly what he did. He became one of us. And that act of becoming one of us we call Christmas. Now, let me tell you the odd thing about Christmas. It was not that the second person of the Godhead came into the world. It's the way in which he came into the world. Remember, he was the creator of the entire universe. He was the one who uttered words and universes appeared. This is no ordinary individual. Remember, he's the creator of the universe. But look where he chose to be born. It blows my mind. He wasn't born in a palace in Rome. When he came to be one of us, he chose to be born in a lowly cave in the Judean hillside. Some of you have been there with me. You've entered into that cave. It's just like any other cave you've ever seen. Just crude. A hole in the hillside. And look how he chose to be born. He chose to reduce himself to a powerless state by becoming a human infant. Do you realize that in all the animal kingdom, the human infant is the most susceptible of all the species to death? Human babies demand demand parents to oversee them. Now, they're the most helpless creatures of all. It sounds me. This one who had orchestrated the creation of the entire universe, this one who had been worshipped for eons by legions of angels, had humbled himself to accept the form of a human being to save us all from eternal damnation. But was the human race grateful? Did we respond to him in love? Did we choose to worship him? No. We despised him, even killed him, and all because his love provoked him to become one of us. i got to tell you a story. Siren Kierkegaard, the brilliant Danish philosopher theologian, once told a fascinating fairy tale. Just blows my mind. It was about a young prince who wanted to find a mate to be his wife. Well, he searched and he searched, but to no avail. Then one day he mounted his horse and rode down to the village located at the foot of his father's great castle. He'd been assigned the task of picking up legal documents at the offices of the royal solicitor. But to reach the solicitor's office, he had to pass through the very poorest section the village. Suddenly, his eyes fell upon the face of a beautiful peasant girl. It was one of those wow moments. Reminds me of the first time I saw Chris. Wow. It took his breath away. I understand that. 
And in the days ahead, the poor prince, he just couldn't get his mind off this girl. Again and again, he would ride down to the village just to get a glimpse of her. In other words, the prince was hopelessly in love. Oh, by the way, have you ever noticed that about us? We always act like love's an accident. You know what we say? I fell in love. It's like we were walking along, didn't expect to, and then fell over. <laughs> yeah, anyhow. But he had this huge problem. He was the heir to the kingdom, and he knew that any girl would want to marry him. Right? But he didn't want a girl to marry him because he was the prince and heir to the throne. He wanted a girl who loved him like he would love her. He soon discovered that he had several options. He could put on his most splendid regal uniform and ride up to her door on a proud, prancing Arabian steed and present her with jewels and promises. And she might fall in love with him if he was to do that. She might. But then again, what if she accepted his proposal? And it was all because of these externals. He could never be certain that she actually loved him for who he was, right? Now, another option was force. After all, he was the crown prince, right? He could force her to marry him. All he had to do was make the declaration. But then again, he would never know if she truly loved him. In fact, he was sure she wouldn't. So he opted for a third option. You know what he did? He took off his regal attire. He set aside his crown. He put on the clothing of a peasant man. And then he moved into an humble home in the poorest part of the village. Once he was there, he got to know the people. He began to share their interests, began to identify with their concerns. He even learned, get this, to speak their language. And all the while, he pursued the beautiful young maiden. And in time, what happened? She gave her heart to him. Not to a prince, but to a person. She loved him fully. She loved him completely. And they were in time wed. Isn't that a nice story? Now, beloved, that parable of Sarah and Kierkegaard tells me the story of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. He was the crown prince of the universe. But he loved this lowly human race. So you know what he did? He took off his crown, took off his robes, stepped off his throne, placed his divinity to one side, and took his residence among us. In other words, he made himself understandable to us. And that's what the Apostle Paul meant in Philippians 2, 6-9. Look at the screen. This is powerful. He's speaking here of Christ, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, I get this, but made himself of no reputation. He just became one of us, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him, and given him the name which is 
above every name. Beloved, that is better than Kierkegaard's parable. You see, I hope you can see the point. If Christ had not become one of us, he would have always been beyond our reach. He would be the Prince of Glory. But we're just fallen human beings. We couldn't reach Him. But by His own choice, He lowered Himself so that you and I could reach Him, know Him, and learn to love Him. That's the true meaning of Christmas. And on this first Sunday of Advent, as we look toward the day when we celebrate the birth of Christ, may we realize this. 2,000 years ago, the one infinite eternal God placed himself in reach of a finite fallen human race. And he wants us to reach out to him today. But more than that, he wants to reach out to you. Now, he wants to heal our hurts. And some of us may be broken, broken physically, broken financially, broken emotionally, even broken physically. Well, the great physician came 2,000 years ago, but he has left us. But when he left, he said, I will not leave you desolate. He has sent His Holy Spirit to indwell us. And from His place within us, He heals our brokenness. Could I tell you one story before we go? It's not in my notes. My daddy told me never to do this. But when the bomb went off at First Church, those of you who were members of First Church know that in the old church, the 1904 church, there was a beautiful Tiffany window of Jesus the shepherd with a lamb he carried about his neck and the mother you with her head cocked around his leg looking up into his face. The bomb went off and there was nothing left of that window. Nothing. It received the full impact Months passed. I wasn't even allowed to go back in the church for almost a year, except for one occasion. And you know what that was for? The FBI agreed to allow me go to go in and find my preaching Bible and my picture of my wife. I picked those things up and left and didn't go back in. For many, many months. Well, Kristen Skinner, who was for a while our janitress here at the chapel, some of you may remember, she was my building manager at First Church. And so one day she was just messing around in the piles of glass that had been left from the broken windows. And she looked, and there was the face. Of Jesus. The one in the window. It hadn't been broken. 
Well, as time passed, we had two ladies in the church who were famous for making stained glass. And they took and they made a window. And that window was placed in the new chapel, in the new building we designed. There's his face in the center. And around it, it says, He takes our broken pieces, and in his love, he puts us together again. And all of those broken pieces are together in that glass with the face of Jesus in the middle. Oh, by the way, they also made a sample of that window. And at an auction where you bought Choir Boy, a family in the church bought Chris and I that window for Christmas, that copy of the window. And it hangs in my study at home behind my chair. And I am reminded every time I walk in that I may be the most broken person in this church, but he has put me back together again. And for only one reason. It's because he loves me. Do I understand why? No. I wouldn't love me. I'm always wondering why Chris does. <laughs> but she does. You can be sure of that. So that's for the first Sunday of Advent. I wanted to share with you that God is in the business of mending our brokenness of putting us together once again. And that's my teaching for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to connect with Ariel Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at arielministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Ariel Ministries in Thoraka, Kenya with each one feed one, we'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Ariel Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit arielministries.com give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Thoraka mission, you can visit arielministries.com slash missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future.